Another world. Another time. In the age of wonder. You are listening to Trial by Stone. Trial by Stone! Dea, Tea, Dara, Tea. Your vital essence, the Dark Crystal. Kida, Kida. Come, come, see for yourself. Aru, Garu. How very interesting. Dea, Tea. I feel the song of Thra in my heart. Now go, you heroes of Thra. Hello and welcome to Trial by Stone. I'm your host, Philip. I'm Jamie. Sorry, sorry, and I'm Ethan. <laughs> do you want to do that again, Ethan? <laughs> oh, no, that was He's supposed to be serious. it. He's being serious. Okay, okay, yeah, that, that was, that was yep. jo- Okay, sorry, I can, I can start over. Hey there, I'm Ethan. You can call me Ethan. Let's do this. Yeah, definitely. I mean, we got to talk about um, Age of Resistance as we're going to keep going, going on with chatting all the episodes of the Dark Crystal Age of Resistance. And I mean, this is the episode two discussion. Um, obviously, as a uh, just to let you all know, I mean, we will talk about spoilers about the whole show, um, but we're definitely going to try and, you know, stick to, you know, talking about each episode, um, you know, as it is, because I think it is well worth sort of, um, I mean, I mean, there was a thing when I first watched on that weekend, um, when it came out was, it was a lot to process <laughs> to, to, to watch, you know, all 10 episodes, you know, throughout that weekend and actually like watching back, like going back and watching each episode and doing these shows sort of like an episode of the time. It's, it's made me love the show even more. Like, even though I loved the show, of course, you know, seeing it on the weekend, it was just mind blowing. It's, you know, the visuals was just amazing and the story was brilliant and all, but actually watching it just, you know, just on its own terms, um, has been a very enjoyable experience. I wanted to know sort of your experiences, I guess, Jamie and, and yourself, Ethan, about what's it been like for you, for you, um, to, you know, what, just watching it again, just, you know, an episode at a time. It's certainly um, overwhelming. It continues to be overwhelming. Dark Crystal, and I think the original film, probably because it's only an hour and a half, and it's not as dark, and it's sort of the, the final the final chapter, the final sort of few minutes, I guess, of the story, even though it's more than a few minutes. It's easy to have that on in the background, also because I know it so well. Um, but each viewing, I'm on my third, the end of my third viewing right now of the entire series, and... It's just a lot. It's a lot to continually process and to take in. Um, there, are, there are times when I find myself laughing in spots that I didn't laugh at before. Like, for instance, the first opening shot of uh, Brea in that ridiculous hat in the order of lesser services. And she her head's down and she's really embarrassed and ashamed. Like, why am I here? Why am I here? And I was dying laughing and i hadn't laughed at that before but i just was like i feel like i'm getting to know her more um and she's just really a great character and so i was just dying laughing and uh at that point um but it's definitely a show where i see new things every time i watch it um new characters new or maybe not new characters but new elements of characters that we've been shown it's just pretty awesome and uh, it's again, it's it's no less as amazing and um, like each time I've watched it, it doesn't feel like, 
oh, I got to watch this again. It's more like, whoa, I'm watching this again. This is real, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's just always something, you know, when watching like The Dark Crystal, watching that film again and again, you always see something new. And I guess it's it's really going to be the same with Age of Resistance. Like there's always going to be those little moments that you just sort of discover for the first time. Yeah, it's just, I mean, even like for me, like I remember like watching episode two, like for the first time. And I mean, I was sort of laughing my head off with, um, you know, seeing the little podling, you know, getting out of his bed and um, you know, brushing his hair and eating breakfast and food dropping all over, you know, his his clothes. Um, yeah, it's it's just such a hilarious, you know, even though it's like, it, it is, you know, I mean, that moment, it is a bit of a trope, you know, the trope in most shows or movies where it's like, you know, a person wakes up in the morning, they brush their teeth and they do all those sort of things that we would do in real life sort of thing. But it's, uh, but it was pretty awesome to, you know, to see, you know, from a, a podling perspective, I guess, in that respect. I wanted to know your thoughts, um, Ethan, about rewatching like these episodes again. Has it been like a lot more like um, easier to sort of process it all? Or is it still so, you know, very overwhelming for you still? Fun fact, not fun fact, but full confession that little Agra servant podling is my favorite podling. Like, I, I'm i bummed we didn't see him more. Um, I think that that is probably the cutest podling in the whole show. Um, but watching Age of Resistance um, is so much fun. Like, in it, I watch it every day, if you can imagine. And... Um, just like the original movie, um, I I love the original movie for lots of reasons, but the biggest reason has always been uh, I I liked to watch you know the world of Thra and imagine um, its history and its side stories and you know uh, you know the Gelfling history and whatnot. And with Age of Resistance, it's so cool and so exciting to. To see all the potential that's threaded into it, um, you know, like when uh, Elder Kadia and uh, the librarian uh, face each other and they're glaring at each other, and you know there's this history, but we don't know that history, and it could be anything. And there's so many um, possibilities, and it's so exciting. Like you know, were they lovers and they they fought? That's just what I was thinking. I was just thinking that, like, yeah. I felt like that they might have been together or something. But his whole thing of like, he's like, his days on the sea were dark. Like, what was that? Yeah, because I mean, the librarian said, like, yeah, in that scene with Brielle, like, I spent my early try and eat um, sailing the Silver Sea with them. So it'd be, it would be interesting to know if Kadir was one of them that he sailed with you know and you know goes on saying i was a foolish boy searching for adventure and Brea's like you know did you find it and then he's like and more um too much more. i mean you could do 10 yeah. hour episodes just looking at that right that's what i'm talking about you could do three uh you know a trilogy of graphic novels just focusing on that and that's what's so damn exciting to me about this you know this new expansion of the dark crystal you know in age of resistance is that's just one tangent that's just the librarian and kadia's tangent i mean you there's so much packed into into this it's so dense and it's so exciting to me and 
it gives me chills watch, watching just episode two. I'm like, I'm, I, I want to know more about this world, and uh, it's exciting and it's impressive to me how they threaded all that in. It's dense, but it doesn't feel dense. You know what I mean? I really do also love that sequence. Uh, the opening of, of of episode two is my favorite opening. It is just delightful. It is one like just going into you know he just kind of nonchalantly walks into Agra's and of course in the original film it's this you know all this music and the doors open and it's but for the little podling it's just kind of his normal day and I love that he the scene where he tries to run up to Agra to hug her and she's like no <laughs> I just I I love their chemistry together they really have good chemistry in terms of how each character plays off each other and Augur realizing that this isn't my old servant. This is his grandson. Um, and realizing how long she's been asleep. Uh, it's just a really, really lovely. So I think it's just, yeah, it's just really lovely. And I would love to see more of that, that podling as well. He seems a little different than the rest. It's not canon or confirmed or anything, but I like to think that he sleeps in Ron Epps old room. You you look at the background of uh, the podlings, <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, the podlings little alcove, I guess, and it looks like it's on the outside of the orrery. You could see the wall of the orrery, but it's the other side of it. Um, they kind of blur it out a little bit, but it, there is this little apartment on the outside of uh, Augur's orrery, and it kind of makes you wonder if you know in future seasons if we'll see other rooms in that network of caves in her mountain. You know what I mean? Like maybe she's got a little library or something or, you know, a storehouse. I don't know. Yeah. Or, you know, if Ron Epps, you know, did write, write a number of books. I know um, there was a book that Olga provided to um, the Gelfling in J.M. Lee's books, which I mean, you know, coincidentally uh, this episode is actually written by uh, J.M. Lee who, who wrote the the quadrilogy of books with um, Shadows of the Dark Crystal, Song, Tides, and Flames of the Dark Crystal books? Yeah, I thought. Yeah, I thought that might be. Yeah, it would just be interesting to see whether um, they will incorporate, you know, just I guess elements, you know, such as you know with Ronep, you know, whether they look at his books or you know that he also wrote for season two and finding more about the history um, of Thra. You know, I a couple of years ago I wouldn't have said this, but I really think if they they played their cards right, if if these same writers came back and and wrote it, they could bring back Ronip and and do it good, do it well. I I I mean, I didn't exactly I I didn't actually like Ronip until the last Creation Myths book. It took me a while for him to grow on me. I thought he was obnoxious. And um, anyway, that's a tangent. This isn't about that. Anyway, I'm just saying. But FYI, FYI, for those listening, Rownip is a character created in Creation Myths, correct? Right, yeah. He was created by Brian Froud. Um, He's Augur's son. Um, Augur's son. Yes, and uh, yeah, he he featured in the Creation Myths graphic novels, which tells you the 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 backstory of uh, the creation of the crystal, the creation of Agra, um, and the division of the Urskex. 
Yeah, and, and and the great thing actually about with um the creation myths is it is actually getting. I mean, they're actually out right now, so people can actually buy them and, and read them, and um I, they're definitely worth reading. They're sort of yeah, you get a great sort of history, a uh, bit of history, I guess. You know, especially moments like um couple of you know Gulflings um uh, stories and also um yeah you know getting to know how the Oskex came to Thra and and how they tried to get back home and how sort of the splitting occurred, as you mentioned, uh, as you said, Ethan. So, yeah, no, it is definitely worth um, checking them out. And I think they're actually going to release like a big box set, I think, in a couple of months' time as well. So, yeah, it'd be um, interesting for, for for a lot of fans to be um, yeah, to check them out. I do, just as a, to wrap up the side note, I have this idea that Ronup is somewhere like, like Gollum somewhere, just sort of living in caves quietly, communing with the worms and the, and whatever that is in the cave. But if they did that, it would be like, obviously a wink to Gollum. So maybe they shouldn't do that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'd be, I'd be so curious if they um, decided to, to bring, um, run it back. Like I'll definitely be up for it. Like, I think that would be a really great surprise and, and just a neat way to sort of tie in, you know, with the other mythologies of the dark crystal, um, which, which I mean, that's another thing that's sort of been popping up in conversations uh, Ethan, I guess with the canon of the Dark Crystal and how does all the, these things connect? Because I know a lot of people have been reading the new books from J.M. Lee, the young adult quadrilogy books. I know there's a lot of fans, I mean, including myself as well, and, and probably yourself as well, Ethan, that, that there are certain moments like within the books that don't sort of match up to what's happened in the show. And I think I actually just wanted to get your take about like, uh, I guess like, with the canon of the, of the Dark Crystal is if, I mean, I guess, does it really matter, I guess? Because, I mean, with the Dark Crystal, I, I guess as Brian Froud has put it out, you know, it's all it's all a bunch of, you know, it's just, it's just mythology. It's all fairy tales. And that it seems to me like with, with stories that you can have different points of views and, and, you know, things may not be, you know, an accurate representation of what they are. And, and so I was just curious about your take, Ethan, about sort of the, that issue that's sort of been, uh, been going around a little bit, um, especially with um, a lot of the Facebook groups that have been out there sort of discussing about J.M. Lee's books and, and all that. Yeah, I think that we live in a time where, uh, you know, you have, you know, Star Trek and Star Trek says, if it's not on screen, it's not canonical, canonical, um, and they, they, from the get-go, they say the books are not canon, never will be canon, diddly squat, don't ask, you know. And um, with Star Wars, you know, the Star Wars story group said, you know, we're trying to make the movies, the TV series, and the books all meshed into one complete whole. And we're trying to make sure that nothing slips through the cracks. Sometimes things do. But for the most part, it's one cohesive whole. Um, and I, I think f- fans of lots of these big franchises kind of come to expect that sort of thing when go- coming into Dark Crystal. They expect it's your guys' job, you know, you know, the Henson Company, Netflix, the writers, the publishers, to keep it all cohesive. And I don't think it's ever been officially stated, but... The way um, the Hensons have been handling Dark Crystal for the last 
I'd say 10 years since, you know, creation myths, um, which, you know, creation myths did contradict World of the Dark Crystal in a lot of different points. And I'll admit, for uh, for several years, it has bugged me. I it, it took me a while to get onto the, I guess, to the acceptance part. I wanted it to be a cohesive whole. Um, but now I am understanding where the Hensons and Brian Proud and everyone else is coming from. And it is a mythology. And with each telling of a myth and a legend, um, you know, it, there are differences. It, it is about um, what you're, it's about the teller as well and the audience as well as the story. Um, I don't know if that made sense, but, you know, I think when you get right down to it, it's not, it, it can be annoying to some people that it's not a cohesive whole and things don't line up. But I think at the end of the day, it's going to be fine. And it's actually creatively freeing um, for there not to be, uh, if it, it's not supposed to line up and it, it's more fun that way. Um, for example, like the novels are, sorry about that, uh, the novels are their own thing, and a lot of people love those novels. And no, it doesn't match up with Age of Resistance. Um, and in, in uh, I think the real reason for that is uh, Joe Lee was working with older versions of the scripts, and that's totally fine. He did his best, and they tried to keep him up as much as they could. Um but the same thing happened with the original film and the novelization of that. The final novelization that was published was based on the work print of the Dark Crystal, not the theatrical version. But uh, when it comes right down to it, it's it, it's good that they're starting the franchise with this um, precedent of no, things don't match because it's more fun that way. Um, you, I, I, I like to suggest to other fans that when you're watching age of resistance watch watch it in its own context don't try to compare it to the novels don't try and co compare it to uh creation myths watch it in its own context read the comics in their own context if you're you're trying to cross uh, uh what is it uh not contaminate cross examine uh all these stories and you're like oh this doesn't add up and, and it's not supposed to and it's just they're they're in its own their own i like to think of it as their own universe their own um uh, timelines i guess um uh, if you want to think of it that way you know kind of a multiverse and the power of the dark crystal multiverse you know the dimension is completely different from the jm lee novel novel universe and you shouldn't compare the two because they're completely different universes in my opinion and it's more fun that way and in 10 years when another netflix show comes on and uh it, that's dark crystal related and everyone's saying why is you know, well the the hope is that they won't say why doesn't this match up with these comics or age of resistance or this or that or the other the, the reason is, is so we can tell more stories. We don't want to get tied up, you know, uh, with all this lore 
and be oh we can't do this because of that we can't do this because of that anyway um that's my take <laughs> yeah and i i think because i think probably the good thing about you know looking at it from the perspective that it's all mythology that you can that it does sort of open up um a lot of possibilities like with storytellers or with authors or uh, writers to you know create you know to do their own story to do their own take of the dark, of the dark crystal and that pretty much everything would be beholden you know to the original film um that they can you know uh, make their own stories and have their own interpretations so um, I think that would be interesting, sort of moving forward, whether they continue to do to do that, or whether, or whether you know, from the success, you know, with with the show, um, I know for example they are doing the Age of Resistance comics, whether whether they're going to be, I mean, I think that would definitely be more connected to the show, of course, because you know, being a tie-in and all that. But it'd be interesting, sort of down the track, with telling stories like whether it's books or comics in the future, if they'll uh, continue sort of doing that aspect. Um, as a mythology versus canon. So it'll definitely be a bit very interesting down the track, yeah. But I think that there's a, I wouldn't say an inherent danger, but something that uh, I would say the filmmakers and Henson and uh, a lot of people involved, certainly Netflix, need to be cautious about. And that's in terms of setting a precedent for what's true as opposed to what's not true. And we can talk about, oh, it's mythology and creation myths. But without any type of official guidelines, this is true in the books, but it's not true in the show, but it's true in the film. Like, And we've seen this in the Crystal Shard group where people are posting, a lot of people, I read this in the book, but what about this? And they're trying to add things up because that's what people do. And a lot of people naturally will connect those things because they're similar characters. Characters are mentioned. Story beats are mentioned like uh Rian's whole you know um sort of escape from the castle that is in the books um but there's some differences there um, and i feel like if people are going to take one thing seriously and obviously i think that we all take the show seriously like the show in the film but you run a risk of people saying well if this isn't true then why is the why is the show true if the book says this how why should i believe the books over the show and i think that Henson really needs to come out and state this is canonical and this is not and or make some updates with the books um, some additions that kind of even things out a little bit where J.M. Lee goes back into goes back into the books and connects them in a way that's uh, that makes sense where people aren't confused. That's my opinion. I mean, I don't know. Maybe it's not that of an important thing, but well, I feel like yeah, it is important. I, I know like with Star Wars, I mean, in the past, um, before Star Wars, you know, they decided to do a clean slate that they basically had a hierarchy of, you know, they said the films, you know, the films and the, um, and the Clone Wars TV show um, was canon. And then another level was like the books and then, uh, then the comics and then sort of other material like the RPG games, like they sort of had their own sort of tier of canon. And of course, like when, when they decide to scrap all that stuff, they pretty much, you know, just said, well, everything that happened before is called Star Wars Legends and everything moving forward will all be, you know, all canonical. So, I mean, that, that might be something whether they might, um, they could potentially open to do that to say, well, you know, the movie and the TV show that, that can't, that's canon and, and the age of resistance tie in and that's canon 
and then just have yeah, another like a tier for the books like jm lee's books and whatnot so yeah what are you what are your thoughts on ethan i so i there's half of me that says i would prefer the star wars method like say oh this one's out this is all canonical like and i would be happy if the hensons you know sent out a document and said this is canon you know i would you know get on my hands and knees and praise them but i don't think that's ever going to happen so I force myself into the mindset of, um, uh, so there, there is another big franchise that, that has a precedent for not having any canon, and that's Doctor Who. And if Doctor Who fans know that, that the canon that we're looking, well, there is no canon, that's why I just said, the stories that just came out this last season of Doctor Who, you look at that and it's going to contradict stuff from just a couple years ago and it's going to contradict things from 10 years ago, 20 years ago and 1963. And what I'm trying to say is is that the kind of unspoken rule, the rule of thumb is the the stories coming out now are canonical and the stuff before isn't. So if if you know, a story comes out today, Doctor Who episode, you know, 1005, and it says that, you know, the Doctor's parents are named Jim and Jan. But, you know, if there's something in the past that dis- disagrees with that, that doesn't matter because that's in the past. You know, the, you know, five episodes down the line, they could contradict it again, and then that'll be the new canon, that, you know, so to speak. Um, so what I'm trying to say is, is, you know, the... Age of Resistance comics coming out in just a, actually like two weeks, I think. Um, they 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 are based on notes and outlines uh, set out by the writers and creators of the show, so they they are going to have that spirit of Age of Resistance. But I would not be surprised if there's going to be something that slips through the cracks that does contradict something from the show, and that's fine. And in season two, if something contradicts season one um, of Age of Resistance, you know, you can bring it up, you can talk about it, you can discuss it, you can think of some way to make it fit or squeeze in. But that, at the end of the day, that's more canonical than season one because that came out now. And what I'm trying to say is, is if a comic book comes out for the 40th anniversary of Dark Crystal, and it throws everything for a loop. Um, it, Jen didn't heal the crystal. It was actually another Gelfling named Philip or something. Then that's canon now because that came out now. Uh, and I, I know that's super annoying for a lot of fans, but I think that's what that that that's what the Hensons are doing. And in, until they come out I and contradict they- me. Yeah, I oh, hope they don't yeah, do that. Ahead. I like I don't I I think that that would be a, a really wrong move and for Doctor Who that makes sense. I mean Doctor Who's all over the place all the time. It's always been all over the place. Even, mm-hmm. you know, I used to watch it with Tom Baker when I was a kid, you know. He was my favorite and still is my favorite doctor. Um but the mythology and lore set up in Age of Res- in Age of Resistance and in the original film, they don't to me um work well with that strategy of like this is like this will this is canon right now but it might change tomorrow like i think it behooves henson because they're really the owners of the property 
to say, no, this is what's true and this is what isn't true. And I think it's going to be to their be to their advantage to make a bold statement and uh, reinvest in their canon, reinvest in in the, the mythology and make it clear so that people know what's true and what isn't true going forward. And I know they've sort of done that with the website and the timeline and all that sort of thing. Um, but even in the timeline, there's stuff that's included that like, well, this thing in the timeline contradicts this thing later on. So what's true? Um, you know, if, you know, this is, and you know, they've had that work to do with Star Wars. They've had that work to do with other properties. And if you want, you know, a really strong thriving fan base, if you want people to take your work seriously, then you're going to have to treat it that way. Not to say that they're not treating it that way, but they're just, they're just, they just need to pay attention to some details and make some, some statements about it. So hopefully they do. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it'd just be interesting to see um, how, you know, what, what will happen down the track for, for sure. And so I guess, you know, I mean, I was just thinking about like all, all my, like the favorite parts from this episode of the dark crystal age of resistance actually for me i loved um seeing uh the fizz gig sort of popping out when the fizz the fizz gig meets um d and you know getting, getting his belly rubbed and and then i also just loved um just when the other um fizz gig pops up and and they're just like sort of barking at each other back and forth i mean that was for the, that for me was like i think watching that for the first time i was just laughing my head off because yeah it was just so hilarious it's just a typical, you know, the two dogs barking at each other back and forth. Yeah, I mean, I was sort of like, you know, oh man, I would love to know like what they were barking about, you know, what you know, the subtitles of what they were actually <laughs> barking about with with, with um the fist like, kids. Who is she? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'll leave you outside for five yeah. minutes. <laughs> yeah. I just I loved Deet in the woods as well with her blindfold on and you can sort of see what she's seeing and her introduction into the forest. And it's our first time that we can be in the forest in the way since the original film, but it's very different. It's similar. It feels familiar, but it's much more alive. It's much more colorful. It's quiet. It's new to us. Like it's new to Deet. So we are Deet in some way. This is a new world. Deet is kind of, our avatar for the film in some ways. So we're in this world exploring it just like she is. It's just a really, really beautiful sequence of films. Like I love all of that. I love the trip to Stonewood. I love all of that. Yeah, and, and, and I think just the performances, especially with, um, with dates, like as she's about to go to sleep and, um, just her yawning and just, you know, slowly closing your eyes or, you know, open and shut that sort of thing that, yeah, just, uh, really just brings in just a believability of the performances. Yeah, like with Deet, like in, in that instance. I mean, I guess we, we got to talk about, of course, um, you know, when, when she was asleep and the, the spider's about to attack her and, and we actually get introduced to um, our little podling friend, um, Hup, which, I mean, again, I just love, like, just seeing, like, even, like, the shots of, um, I mean, you got introduced to him by, you know, the shots of his, of his feet, and that's something I actually liked um, seeing more of, I guess, you know, actually, you know, seeing them running. Because, of course, like in the original film, you know, they're always sort of, you know, from the waist up most shots. Or, you know, there, there'll be a couple of shots where you see the full body, of course. But it's a, a, a nice, interesting sort of different perspective, I guess, um, different way of looking at things. Yeah. And for me, it's just like just seeing how on his vine, he's got his spoon out. He's, you know, trying to be the hero and gets all caught up. Um but then, of course, you know, they, um, Deet helps him out by, you know, pu- pushing him 
when he got caught up in the webbing and you know pushing him to hit the the arathem the spider to for it to get away and just the whole conversation between them two is just um just really wonderful and like just both of them just trying to understand each other um i thought it was just a just a little great moment um from the show yeah totally and essentially two somewhat inconsequential at least in the eyes of you know other gelfling you know you can't get worse than a podling oh but yeah you can you can be a groton and it's almost a wizard of oz moment where these people are sort of off to see the wizard the wizard being the almadra in her her great castle in harar and they meet each other along the way in the woods sort of like dorothy and the scarecrow and i just love seeing hup in his regal velvet red like he is prepared he's got his spoons he's got his best clothes on and he's there you know to save the day as well like i just love that character so much like he resonates so much in in me like oh my gosh like i thought before like and again we sort of had this conversation before a little bit but i really thought oh hey deed is a character that i love and i i i uh uh, relate to the most, but really it's Hup that I relate to the most. And uh, he's just, he's such a treasure, a treasure of a character. He's not comic relief. He's a, an earnest, well-meaning, he's doing the best that he can in, in the world that he's been thrust into, just like all of us. And uh, his meeting with Deet, I mean, really, the writers are brilliant. They're really brilliant. Like, they thought of everything, just not just, you know, everybody involved. And they really know and knew what they knew and they know what makes a good story. And uh, I can't I can't watch enough Hup and Deet interact and just his interaction with everyone else. And <laughs> I'm just thinking I'm just thinking ahead really quickly of him throwing up on the rocks. Oh, like, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or like when Deet says he took that dress, <laughs> he's like, "Don't tell don't him say that. that." No, I love the the moment with um with uh with Hop, which we'll definitely talk about a lot more in episode three, um when he's sort of losing it and you know attacks these two gelflings, you know, to protect Deet. Um, I you know I just love that little moment there as well. So. Yeah, there are. I mean, with all the characters, they just all have like just great moments. And, and even again with Harp, just you know, at the end where of the scene where he, he tries to wave his hand around Deet, and she's like, "Ah, oh, I can see you." And then he's like, "Ah, boom." Is <laughs> a very very cheeky cheeky podling. Yeah, which I, I just love. Yeah, yeah. I wonder if well, someone made a mention that Hop might be the character. In the dark crystal that gets drained. I don't know if that's the case, but I, I'm just curious about his future. What's going to happen to Hup? Like, I mean, I guess he's supposed he could die. I hope that doesn't happen, but uh, I just love him and I want to know where he comes from. I want to know who his parents are. I want to know what made him break free from like being sort of like a lower podling to someone who wants, who aspires to greatness, who aspires to serve his queen. I just, I love it. I love it. Yeah. And, and I guess it'd be really interesting if, um, cause I mean, that's the thing. It's like, oh man, I, like I would love to see like these short stories. Um, you know, like I want to know like what would Hup was up to like before the events of age resistance. And I don't know if we're going to get that with the comic or not, but it would be something that I'm like, oh, you know, I would love to see what he was doing and, well, you know, how he came across, you know, with the spoon as his sword and, 
you know, whether like, you know, in, in his past he was a cook. Yeah, just so many questions, like especially with um, Hup's characters. Um, I'd just be so excited to know more more about him. And, and I guess, I mean, little moments are so like with callbacks, you know, to the original Dark Crystal. I liked, I think it was to do with um, with Rian and Gurgen and, and how Rian sort of grabs uh, Gurgen and they do the dream fasting. And I liked it. So that little callback where, um, you know, after Gurgen believes in his story, his story and, and Rian's like, you know, all right, you know, together then, which I thought was a nice little callback to the original film. And what was actually interesting with that dream fasting in that instance was um, all you all you got was sort of the audio of the moment. I know with dream fasting, you know, there would be sort of a visual representation, but that was the one thing I, I thought that was really interesting. And I think it was very effectively in that moment was that, you know, you were just hearing audio. No, we've never seen uh, Gelfling dream fast like whenever we see gelfling dream fast we see the dream fast and now we kind of see dream fasting from the outside looking it looking in and it was really cool to you know we know what they're dream fasting about and now we kind of get to see their reactions and it was a cool extra dimension to uh dream fasting uh i really liked them doing it that way that was really clever yeah, absolutely, yeah. And so, yeah, I mean, of course, you know, they're, they're trying to figure out a way to... Um, well, I mean, that's when the part where they try to um, figure a way to get out. But, yeah, Rand's like, you know, we've got to get the, the vial essence to, to grab that as evidence before they can escape. So, so no, it was really cool. It was really cool. And, um, and, and just even, like, moments like, I mean, we, we Bria's story and we sort of get her with... Um, you know, when she enters the, the tent and you sort of get that um, little switcheroo of Kadea, which I think um, um, Eddie Izzard as Kadea, I thought was really, you know, a brilliant sort of casting choice for, um, I mean, I mean, that's the thing. Like most of these voice casters were br- brilliant and, um, you know, with the, you know, voicing the characters and, you know, to, to moments where it's like, I'm not even thinking about, you know, the actors that are voicing the roles. Like I, I see them, you know, you know, as characters sort of, kind of thing. Yeah. No, I was the same way. Uh, I, I was really nervous going into Age of Resistance. I was thinking, oh, I'm going to hear, uh, all these actors and not see them for characters. And surprisingly, that was not the case. I mean, I know it's Eddie Izzard, but to me, it's just Elder Kadia and, uh. I I get sucked into the story, and that's the difference between, you know, flopping puppets around and then someone recording voices and music over it. And and the key to Age of Resistance has really been that that writing. Well, there's a lot of keys, but the writing, the 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 caring about the characters. It is really what nails Age of Resistance. I think. I think it, it. If the writing wasn't so good, I mean, you know, just look at Celadon. People love to hate or love Celadon, and there's so much um, discussion about that. Like, some people think, no, she should have been freaking thrown down a cliff. You know, her redemption was too fast, and other people are like, no, I loved her story. You know, in that back and forth, that discussion, that is gold. I mean, that's how you, you know, 
the, it's the difference between a mediocre story and a great story. I mean, I can't believe they made you hate a puppet like that. I mean, I was, I mean, um, I know this is, I don't even think Celadon is much in this episode. I'm sorry, but like Celadon is a great example of, you know, just the way she like squinted and, and the way she moved and just the, what she did to the other Gelfling and what she said. I mean, God, she was the worst and you just loved her for it. I mean, I, I loved seeing her on a screen. And I just I can't believe we're getting a character like this in Dark Crystal. It it so easily could have just been a, a you know just a generic fantasy story in a cool little fantasy world, you know, bouncing across the screen. Um, and a lot of people see the original as that. And but we got some good juicy writing, and we've got questions. And I'll get back to episode two. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm super sorry about that tangent. Oh, but no, no. Yeah. I, it, no, it's great. Yeah. yeah. I, I really enjoyed um, Celadon's character. Like, yeah, even throughout the show, like she was definitely, yeah, one of the, one of the most sort of interesting characters of, of Gelflings, you know, as, you know, as, as part of the supporting cast that her role was, yeah, that she was the most interesting of, of, of all the supporting um, Gelfling, you know, characters. And yeah, I mean, we'd definitely be talking about her like in, in future episodes, that's for sure. But yeah, it's just all just, and it's just all fun. Like, I mean, especially like going back to, you know, Skektek's laboratory uh, or the laboratory, just seeing how closely it really resembled to, to the original film. Just, you know, just sort of the last minutes of, you know, with Rian and Gurgen trying to escape, you know, from the laboratory and... And, and just seeing all the two that, yeah, like with the Chamberlain and, and Skektek just sort of freaking out um, the moment that they sort of got out of the room. Um, and even just, yeah, I mean, even just like watching just like the wide shots of, um, of Rian and, and Gurgen, like, like I still trying to figure out like whether those shots were CGI, whether they had stunt person or whether they actually had puppeteers, you know, by the side, you know, that were just, you know, they were, you know, in green screen and got comped out in post to make them run like realistically it's yeah it's it's pretty yeah it's just um just 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 amazing with what with, with what they've done with the show and and actually i think with this episode as well is um really the first two episodes actually works well as sort of like if you just watch them both like on its own like as as almost like one big movie i think it sort of you know works out great that way yeah to your points i i well, in terms of Skektek's laboratory, one thing that I love of many, many things I love about this show is oftentimes you see shows that or a movie or whatever that's a prequel or goes back in time. And you're like, oh, yeah, I guess it sort of looks like it used to. But there's something a little bit wrong with it or it's not quite right. Whereas with like Skektek's laboratory, they were in his laboratory. That was unmistakably everything that remind everything that was there in the original film. I mean, it was absolutely flawless. Of course, there were differences because it was a different time. But the attention to detail that they went into was just mind-blowing. And even with uh, the Crystal Chamber and how amazing that was. And even though we know the puppets are a little bit bigger and so they're, you know, they're, they're more in their prime, so they're taking up a little bit more space, we know that we are in the Crystal Chamber. And it's just, it's, it's amazing. And it... it it plays into how really well done 
the show was and how much did they did their homework, but also back to sort of like the characters and like Celadon and what's interesting, like, you know, we have, we're introduced to Gurgen and I know some people have made some comments about Gurgen and Naya and also Farah. Um, Farah is the, the Madra of stone in the wood. Um, and people saying, oh, they're ugly puppets. Not a lot of people, but some people saying, yeah, they're kind of ugly or whatever. But what I love about that, that they're not, they're not conv- conventionally, they, you know, they have some traits that, sh- that, you know, you can tell Jen and Kira are related to them or they're part of the same race. But what I loved, what I love about Age of Resistance is that you have to look past what they look like. And by the time we're on episode six or seven, Ger- Gurgen's one of ours. We're one of his. Like, Farah, we're rooting for Farah. We, you know, we want, like, it doesn't matter what they look like. And so there's this element that the the filmmakers and the writers um, and the conceptual artists and the builders brought to this show where you're like, no, we're not going to make these puppets all sort of stereotypically pretty. They're all going to be very different. And you're going to have to sort of get to know who they are um, as opposed to just judging them by their looks. And I know there was a couple comments about Farah. Um, how ugly she was, but by the end, when Farah ends up dying, and my heart's breaking, broken, like she's one of my favorite characters, because um, she stands up for what's right. And I just some of the other stuff that they're introducing, like early on in episode two and in episode three, which we'll eventually cover, where a lot of people it takes people some time or Gelfling some time to see the truth, um, and more and more Gelfling see the truth. But then you have someone like Celadon who refuses. And it's like, why can't she see the truth, but everyone else can? Or a lot of other people can. And so we, as viewers and as people who are partaking in the show, we have to grapple with that. We have to understand why people, some people believe one thing and other people believe another, even though we're presented with the same information. Um, it's just, it's. I think it's going to be great for young people, for kids um, to have to come to terms with that. Um, why are you, are you rooting for Celadon? Because some people are. Um, why are you on her side as opposed to the side of the rest of the Gelfling? Um, but I just love that the that the filmmakers trust the audience enough to give us that kind of quality and material. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it, it was pretty important, I guess, to make you know, the seven clans of, De- of Gelfling really be able to tell a part of, you know, that the moment we see these characters and we know exactly which clan they're from because, you know, because of what what their appearance is so but I, I definitely love that there's you know that there is that diversity with the Galfling clans and and all that and and they're just not that they're just not like you know just looking like Jen and Kira's well they easily could have fallen into that tra- trap of let's make them Lord of the Rings elves let's make every single one this you know picture perfect gorgeous angel on earth you know like they could have had long silky hair and every single one is perfect but i like the ones you know the drenchens they have warts and some people don't like that and that's fine but the drenchen are supposed to be the 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 hairier the fatter the wartier uh clan of gelfling and i kind of want them to push that even more i want you know season two gelfling i want to see a fat gelfling you know like you know double chin triple chin you know i want to see myself in in this gelfling you know um just kidding but uh you know i i i want them to push that envelope i i don't want pretty uh gelfling all the time i mean 
I, I think that is a trap that you can really fall into to, to make them all look perfect or make them look like Jen and Kira or anything. But anyway, the, they did perfect, and I really hope we can get even wordier, sweatier, and fatter ones in season two. And and just sort of thinking about well, shapes and sizes, I guess, with the Skeksis, are, you know, the enormous sort of beasts um, or creatures with, with the Dark Crystal really the big thing that happened at the end of this episode was when Gurgen, well, with Rian escaping and they captured Gurgen and there was a bit of bickering back and forth of, you know, putting the blame of who was, you know, solely responsible. You know, of course we, I think that's the thing I loved about with um, the Chamberlain that we sort of get more of with him is that he's such a manipulator. Like he try and, you know, use his words, you know, to, to convince others of, you know, of what he thinks, you know, the true, you know, what really happened. And he sort of put the blame on, on Skektek and then Skektek's like, oh, well, technically, you know, <laughs> I mean, yeah. And, and that was actually pretty, yeah. I mean, it was shocking. I mean, in those last minutes with the episode where um, they were trying to figure out, you know, what his punishment is. And I think um, I was just trying to think who was the one who started the, I think, uh, they, they decided to, to do their peeper beetle and just the last minutes of just seeing like um, Skek Tech just really, um, you know, barricaded and and all the Skeksis are just around him and um, like Skeksox like getting really excited about it because he was like, you know, this is like one of the five ocular constigations um, that is of like Skeksox favorite things. So, Again, we'd love to know what the other four are. <laughs> the other four ocular constigations, uh, for sure, yeah. Yeah, in the first couple episodes, we actually saw his eye. I know a lot of fans and you know, even myself was just like, oh, I wonder if they're going to tell that story about how he has that sort of mechanical eye. And um, yeah, I mean, we sort of got that with um, the end of episode two. Yeah, which is, it is pretty freaky, like just seeing that little creature just, you know, opening his eye and just going just about to go into and just take its eye out or eat it or yeah it's yeah one of the many disturbing moments (laughs) i mean it's well one of the most disturbing ones in this episode of the dark crystal age resistance it was so fantastic that is so dark crystal you know it 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 harkens back to when all the skexies surrounded the chamberlain and stripped him in the original film and it's you know, which is kind of scary and nerve-wracking when you watch it. And, uh, you know, all the Skeksis gathering around Skektek laughing at him. You know, they're, they've got such a strange relationship with each other. You know, they all have each other's backs, yet they're stabbing each other in the back. But, you know, they, I don't know, they're, Skeksis are strange, you know. Like, we're, we're all on the same team, um, but we don't like each other. But anyway, um, but no, I really loved that scene. And it's so interesting that, uh, you know, Chamberlain does say that Peeper Beetle is only for Skeksis. They don't use them on Gelfling. And I've said this and other people have noticed this too. This definitely implies that the slave master, Skekna, uh, must have lost his eye to the, the, to the Peeper Beetle too. Because um, uh, I think... Uh, I don't. I don't remember who said it. Um, but one of the Skeksis say that uh, it's many. It's been many a trine since uh, uh, we've seen a peeper beetle, and so it, 
it definitely you think to yourself okay which of the 16 skeksis is missing an eye um and the slave master skekna comes to mind we don't know if the other ones are missing an eye though and um it, i mean skeksa uh might be missing an eye or you know the, maybe one of the the other new skeksis are but right now all we know is that the slave master's missing an eye and that's really neat yeah, I mean, you know, there are a lot of Skeksis that were um, not present in the season of the show, and I think some of them did get mentions about where they were, like, later on in the, in the show. But, yeah, it'd be interesting to see, you know, sort of those sort of characters returning in season two. Um, that's for certain if it, if it happens. And so I think we'll, we'll have to wrap up for this episode of Trial by Stone. Um, again, thank you so much for um, listening to our continuing discussions on The Dark Crystal Age of Resistance, and yeah, stay tuned for more episodes of the show. Trial by Stone, the Dark Crystal podcast, is a production of Three Point Edit. If you'd like to get in contact with the show, you can do so at darkcrystalpodcast at gmail.com. You can also like us on Facebook, follow on Twitter and Instagram, and subscribe on YouTube. If you'd like to know more about the podcast, visit our website at www.darkcrystalpodcast.com. Thank you so much and stay tuned for the next episode of Trial by Stone.